Entrepreneurs Over 40, Episode 68, with Jamie Shanks talking about social selling. So the order of operations is you first should be building a bit of a brand, a voice, a reputation. And as you do that, as you reach out to people, it gives them the trust, the warm and fuzzies to feel comfortable in talking to you because they feel you're a subject matter expert. They feel that you've walked a mile in their shoes. That's the first step. You have to build a voice and an opinion about something. You're listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40, the show for somewhat mature entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And now your host, Greg Mills. Our guest today is the CEO of Pipeline Signals, a startup SaaS firm that helps businesses to scale their pipeline through relationship signal intelligence monitoring by addressing the most common yet unanswered challenges that sellers have. It's a pioneer in monitoring and mining your total available market accounts for relationship connections, competitive intelligence, and compelling events such as job changes. For the past 10 years, he's run Sales for Life, the world's most extensive social selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. Sales for Life has trained over 250,000 sales and marketing professionals in dozens of industries. He's delivered workshops across six continents for Microsoft, Thomson Reuters, Oracle, American Airlines, and Intel. Without further ado, Jamie Shanks. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Now, can you take a few moments and fill in the gaps from that intro and bring us up to speed with what's going on in your world today? Yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. I was fortunate enough 10 plus years ago to see an opportunity in the sales community where social media was just coming of age and business to business sales professionals could use tools like LinkedIn to use it for prospecting. And so I built the world's first training curriculum on this idea called social selling, pioneered the word and the category, and builds up quite a strong uh, lifestyle, multi-million dollar a year, but lifestyle kind of sales training business. And from that, our customers would constantly say to us, it's amazing that you're training my 200, 300, 4,000 sellers on the team, but a lot of them wish you could just do this for them. And so during the pandemic, it gave me an opportunity to start a second company called Pipeline Signals, but it's a do-it-for-you business. So those sales professionals would say, here are all the accounts in the world that matter to me. Here's our customers. Here's our prospect, our prospects. Here's the white space that we would sell into. Identify if somebody leaves my happy customers and goes into a prospect. Or if there's a new job change of a new Chief human resources officer, if my customer sells to them, moves from one account to another, I want to be alerted immediately. And we route that intelligence into their contact management software called a CRM. And the seller doesn't change any workflow. They just start prospecting. So we've turned what is a training business into a SaaS software. Now, you had released, I believe, Social Selling Mastery in 2016. Yeah, Social Selling Mastery in 2016 and then Sphere Selling in 2019. They're both on the topic of social selling. One is teaching more of an inbound brand management of social selling. That's Social Selling Mastery. And one is teaching outbound account-based sales development. And that's the acronym Sphere Selling. Okay. So you'd heard the people for a while and did it just sink in during the pandemic or had you planned to do that all along? Well... 
No, so when you sell a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so I would hear, we would see it in the sport tickets. We would hear from customers and I could feel that a do it for you business would work. Now, whether it's my own you know, maturity as a young CEO at that time, but I would, customers would even, you know, put a blank check in front of our base and say, and th- this actually happened where a customer said, I'll pay you to start a monitoring service company for sales. Like they're in the cybersecurity monitoring space. So they're very used to being a managed service. Why don't you do something like that? And the reality is for five years until the pandemic, I was on 80 flights a year for five years, 42 countries speaking around the world, evangelizing social selling. That didn't give me a lot of opportunity to think outside of the box, so to speak. When the pandemic hit, thankfully it was only 10% of our revenue, but it was a huge portion of my day-to-day life was traveling around the world. Pandemic ended that. And so it bought like 50% of my life back. And I turned to my business partner and said, this is this opportunity. There's an opportunity to build a recurring revenue digital business that is paid by credit card, monthly recurring revenue. We could stack it and create tremendous enterprise value. The time is in, that time is of the essence to start this out. I've heard a lot of people say that the pandemic, as bad as it was, has actually introduced some processes like more remote meetings and stuff that have actually improved things in their business. Did you find that to be the case? Or are you still having to do 80 flights a year? Yeah, it was a net positive, both on the business side of my life and on the personal side of my life. And I'll start with the business side. On the business side, it took away 10% of revenue, but 50% of productivity back. So that allowed me to start a second company. Two, it allowed me to, as an entrepreneur, look objectively at, am I leaning my ladder on the right wall? And sales for life, multi-million dollar business a year is a cash flow business, but it's not recurring revenue, it's reoccurring. So you have a customer as training, some will renew roughly revenue into year two, and some will just, the thing about training is it's consumed and then people wash their hands and walk away. So you're constantly having to win new business. And it very much, the the sales training world can be a bit of a prisoner's spot where the founders who are the ones that are the ones winning the deals or the ones creating the unique intellectual property and delivering the training, they get trapped in the business because customers want them. They're buying these rock stars of the sales training space. So no matter how big your business gets, You struggle to relieve yourself from the day-to-day operations. So the pandemic allowed me to look at, am I leaning my ladder on the right wall? And what if I transferred that energy into something that's more scalable, something that creates greater enterprise value? It could be done in a way that I could buy buy myself out of the day-to-day operations of a business at scale. Now, just backing up a little bit, you've mentioned that you've been an entrepreneur most of your life. Did you come from an entrepreneurial background? Was anybody in your family an entrepreneur? My grandfather owned a fleet of pharmacies. I'm from the Ontario region of Canada. So the capital of Canada, Ottawa, and then you've got Toronto. So he owned a, a chain of pharmacies in the Ottawa area. My, my father's geologist worked for both Chevron and then the, the federal government on oil projects. My mother is a neonatal nurse, so they're not entrepreneurs, but my parents 
friends were also entrepreneurs. So in fact, I watched them quite a bit. I was always starstruck with how there was feast and famine of the entrepreneurial life. Yeah. Have to harvest while the harvesting is good. Yes. Okay. Now you're a father as well as an entrepreneur. I believe your son's a competitive water skier at the national level. How has being a father to your son and your daughter impacted your business? It's taught me to be more protective of my time, but I have been at a very early age with them trying to teach them about money and business. Money was never a fearful conversation in my house as a kid. We had open, transparent dialogues about money. My parents always did very well in an upper middle-class family that were very transparent about how money is made, how money is lost, how to save. And I want to give that plus some to my kids. I want them to, to dream big and to not be afraid of taking risk of becoming an entrepreneur. And we talk in the car on the way to water ski tournaments or the things. We talk about business ideas. And I hope for them that they get an opportunity to start a business and they started young so they can learn and fail and grow from it. Obviously, they've impacted you, but especially during the pandemic. Didn't you take up a new hobby? Yeah. So there's a, a bit of a backstory here. So my family is a big snow skiing family. So we were out in British Columbia, Canada on a ski family trip and the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And when it hit, basically every ski hill in North America closed almost on the same day. Within 48 hours, every North American ski hill closed. And we were only halfway through our trip. So they kick everybody off this hill called Big White, Kelowna, Bridge, Columbia. And now we're on a plane, a five-hour plane ride home back to Toronto, Canada. And on the flight, you know, our car's at the airport and we fully thought we're going back to the house and okay, we'll have to experience this new thing called COVID. And I turned to my wife on the plane and said, why are we going back to Toronto of 7 million people? Why don't we go up to our cottage? And cottage in Canadian terms means house on a lake. We have a cottage on a lake called Lake Simcoe. So when the plane landed, we took our bags, got in our vehicle and we drove up the cottage with the intention of staying for a weekend. I had to figure this thing out. We lived there almost two years. So now thankfully our cottage was winterized. It has all the amenities to be a home. So it has natural gas furnace and air conditioning. So it, you can live there, but it's pretty remote and our kids virtual schooled from there. And so now May, March turns to April turns to May. The ice breaks and the water's there. And I turned to my son and said, I've got an idea. Do you want to learn a new sport? What if we take up water skiing? I bought a boat and we, as a family together, all learned to water ski. And we water skied so much because we're living on the lake that my son is now the right third in Canada as, as the U10 water skier because he did it every day, all day for two years. <laughs> wow. That's a, an incredible story. And but you hear a lot of people talk about roughing it during COVID. You didn't, you didn't. The greatest investment we ever made, I bought a ski boat and it has become the glue, the most important glue that brought our family together. Our family is, you know, that boat we put on one to two hours, boats are measured in hours, one to two hours per day. And we all come together 
and ski and wakeboard, wake surf and all these sort of things. And it is the family glip. Yeah, that's awesome. Most, you know, most people, when they buy a boat, it's a wasted asset at best. Well, don't kid yourself. It's one of the most expensive and depreciating assets you will ever buy. (laughs) Now, switching gears a little bit, let's talk about your books, Social Selling Mastery and Spear Selling. And you've talked a little bit about this, but I just want to go back. Who are the primary targets? Our primary targets have always been chief commercial officer, chief revenue officer, head of marketing, chief marketing officer. And then under them are regional vice presidents of sales, heads of demand generation, heads of sales enablement and sales operations. It's the entire revenue ecosystem. They were always written at, at a management level at an executive level that runs a go-to-market. Okay. So what is the difference between social selling and social media marketing? I'll use the analogy of phishing. Social media marketing is phishing with a net. So as an organization, you throw a lot of stuff, you throw a net out the ocean, you troll it back in, and you're happy that you caught a few of the tunas that you were expecting, but in there are a lot of sea urchins and all the kinds of stuff that don't make your ideal customer profile. But as you get going, that's important because you keep throwing out nets and you catch more and more fish. And eventually though, the cost of throwing out those nets and making those nets bigger and bigger start to throw your cost to customer acquisition over the lifetime value known as CAC to LTV ratio starts to throw it way off. And at scale, once a company goes from zero to say $10 million, it no longer can feast off inbound, off trolling with a net. It then needs to convert to an outbound account-based sales development organization where it needs to pinpoint the very companies it needs to for sustenance to grow. And because it can only grow if it's catching, you know, 500-pound marlins and larger. So to do that, you need an outbound strategy. And that's where the second book, Spear, comes in. And that's social selling is where you are pinpointing a set of accounts for an objective reason. There's a compelling event that's happened there. You build an account plan, you engage it, and you create opportunity out of nothing against those accounts because those accounts can yield you the type of return you need. Okay. What do you find companies get wrong about social selling? They first can play the idea of social media marketing and social selling. And so they take a very generalist approach. They take a throw anything at the wall, hope it sticks approach. And some inbound will come at scale. The more sellers you have, the more voices in the market, the more inbound that will come. But it isn't growing at a repeatable process. It's not growing at the rate of return that you want because you are not pinpointing accounts based on an ideal customer profile and then targeting them for objective reasons. So, you know, I could target all kinds of large software companies, but if I'm following them A through Z, I'm wasting tremendous amount of calories. But what if I focused on people that left my happy customer and went in an employment into one of those software companies that met my ideal customer profile. Shouldn't I call them? Because my past advocate or fan is in that account, and it's three to five times more likely to open a door because I'm talking to somebody who's used my solution in the past. 
So it's that's what social selling allows you to do. It allows you to use objective data on tools like LinkedIn to make informed decisions around selection and account prioritization. And at the same time, it allows you to engage people in a bold and different way. You know, talk to people on LinkedIn, not just through email. How are you finding these people? How are you finding them that they're un- either unhappy with their current provider or left their current provider? There is a category of sales intelligence that helps you understand what's called product usage. It's not the world that I play in. What I play in and what I focus in on is human capital migration. If you look at when decisions are made to change in a business, okay, it's when a new human goes into a business that's of a decision maker, they bring with them people, process, and technology biases. They get promoted. They are asked in the next 90 days to make change or they leave and a priority leaves the organization as that person leaves. So if you track the humans going in, up and out of the business, you get a sense of a priorital shift. Then if you figure out, did that person come from a friend, like a past customer, neutral, we have no connection to these people or a foe, you know, they're interconnected to a competitor of ours. That gives me a sense of a bit of a probability that I can shift this into an opportunity or not. That's where we focus. Our pipeline signals monitors human capital migration at scale. That makes sense. I'm from an IT background. When we get somebody new in, we ask them what they've used before. And sometimes we'll go with that same scenario, I imagine. Yeah, we have customers that track CTOs and CIOs around the world for every job. And then they cross-reference. Did that new CTO come from one of our happy customers? If they did, we'll lead in there and say, John, you used our solution at your past firm. What's your plan now that you're over at XYZ? Okay. Now, how can you develop better relationships with customers through social selling mastery? First, it's about learning how to develop a brand, an online voice. You've heard the term trusted advisor. It's the chicken and the egg. So you could start prospecting and engaging people, but naturally their first instinct is to Google you or to look you up on LinkedIn and say, why shouldn't listen? So the order of operations is you first should be building a bit of a brand, a voice, a reputation. And as you do that, as you reach out to people, it gives them the trust, the warm and fuzzies to feel comfortable in talking to you because they feel you're a subject matter expert. They feel that you've walked a mile in their shoes. That's the first step. You have to build a voice and an opinion about something. What exactly is relationship signal intelligence monitoring? And this may lead back into what we just discussed. Yeah, what it really means is it's tracking human capital migration at scale. That you came from IT. So let's say every CTO on planet Earth of a thousand employees or greater in the manufacturing industry. Then from that, what is our interrelationship to those CTOs? And there's one of three. They're either a friend, they came from a past customer as an advocate or fan, two, they're neutral, but there's a job change there. So there is a compelling reason to reach out to them because change in that first hundred days, that person will deploy up to 70% of their remitted budget in a hundred days. And number three, did they, are they interconnected to a competitor? So are we spinning our wheels? 
are we just going to waste calories trying to engage a CTO where it's quite obvious through their LinkedIn profile? They are definitely going to choose a competitor of ours. This is an industry I'd never heard of or never even considered. Does Pipeline Signals have any natural competitors? Yeah, there are competitors. Think of this as a new emerging subcategory of sales intelligence. Sellers have been using tools to give them sales intelligence for years. But this is the new, a very new type of subcategory of sales intelligence called relationship signals. We have a few other competitors who are tracking both at the account level and at the contact level, all of those changes that are happening inside any company in the world. On a macro level, is LinkedIn one of them? No, I mean, LinkedIn is actually the supplier of the data. Now, LinkedIn is a, if you were to look at a business plan, LinkedIn is a form of a competitor because they are the category of status quo. Sellers have access to this information. It's all on the public web, but harnessing it at scale across thousands of companies is a tremendous waste of time asking sellers to do $5 an hour tasks when they should be doing $500 an hour value creation. To be asking them to data mine is a waste of time. So that's why a platform like ours exists. But the status quo is always there, right? Somebody could say, well, I'll just do what we always do. We try to find needles in the haystack on LinkedIn. Okay, I'm at it. Yeah, see, let us know how that works out for you. Yeah, exactly. If things are working out, you wouldn't book this meeting with me if things were going okay. Now, how did you discover this? My company sells for like training 250,000 sellers over 10, 600 global customers. You name a big enterprise software company in North America and many in Europe, they were a customer. And so it's very fortunate to be in the belly of every major enterprise software company in the world that mattered. And so I'm in the boardroom with every CRO and every CMO, and I'm hearing from sellers every day what their problem is. And their big problem is Pareto's law will always be there. You can teach people to fish, but only 20% of them will fish and they will create 80% of the fishing impact. And the other 80% of sellers will haphazardly do it or not do it at all. So if I'm the chief revenue officer, I'm really annoyed by this, where you give them all the tools and all the enablement and they still don't do it. So chief revenue officers turn to us and say, what if you, like, instead of trying to get a hundred people to do a hundred pieces of change management, what if you just gave them the answers to the test? And in fact, don't even have them change their workflow. Every day they log into Salesforce or they log into HubSpot or whatever CRM they use. What if the data just came inside those tools? And that's where Okay, sellers can be lazy. How do we make it as simple as possible, bro? Can you kind of walk us through what spear selling is? It's spear selling is that outbound account-based sales development model for social selling, but it's an acronym. It's an acronym for select, plan, engage, activate, reprioritize. These are the steps that a business development seller who's interested in prospecting goes through. They select accounts and prioritize them. They then choose to go after Apple as an example. They then build a plan. They then engage based on that plan. They take action and they try to book a meeting. They activate that account 
And then they look at all their total addressable market and they reprioritize where they spend their time. So it's a flywheel that they learn to do through social selling. How has sales for life evolved over the past 10 years? It started as a two-man band that grew 50% compounded very quickly and grew to a $3 million business within a couple of years. And then it kind of plateaued and stayed as a $3 million business. And what we, we tried, we deployed way too much capital into it, reinvested capital into trying to get it to become, go from subscale to scale. When in fact, we should have learned earlier and eventually in its last five years, we recognized it was a cash cow. It was a lifestyle business that paid a very handsome salary to myself and my business partner. And that it could be a lifestyle that if we also had a focus on taking ourselves out of the day-to-day operations, specifically the two biggest heavy lifting parts of professional services firm like that are revenue generation and service delivery. And unfortunately, my business partner and I took each of those roles. So while we were making very hefty salaries, we are prisoners to our own business, so to speak. So that's how it evolved. And then spun from there, we decided to spin out a second company based on the learnings from Sales for Life and recorrect all the mistakes that we made within Sales for Life and build something for scale that is scalable, that creates enterprise value. And we could easily buy our, buy back our time, buy our way out of day to day operations. Let's get ready to wrap this up. What's next for you, Jamie? So the purpose of Pipeline Signals, is it's built to scale. It's built to scale. It's built to eventually be acquired. I mean, it has a, we have built Pipeline Signals with a mission to Mars, right? When I started with Sales for Life, I didn't have a mission. I, I became, you know, I started as an entrepreneur to help the sales community and see where the wind blew me. And, you know, I started out where I was yeah, making three or five, three to five thousand dollars a month in, hodgepodge services to, to helping sales ecosystem, you know, helping the sales ecosystem. But Pipeline Signals has been built with a mission. It knows where it wants to be at certain dates and times, and it will be built up to create tremendous enterprise value for ourselves and our investors and eventually find a home as a natural acquired. Have you already started to be being approached about that or? No, we're in year one right now. And so, you know, our mission was zero to a million dollars. We're going to achieve that. And then the next triple. And then after that, you know, triple again. And it's just, there's a mission to, there's a, a yeah, mission control has been free thought of from day one. Okay. Now, what book do you recommend? You currently recommend to move somebody to either start their business or move it to the next level specifically around sales. Oh, wow. I'll almost need to pause for a second because I, I, so I'm a listener of books and I listen to a book a week. The light audibles is hundreds of books, but I'll try to find one that, that might help recently. Let's see here. One, like I'm trying to find one that is. So there's a couple that if you want to become a professional CEO, there's a great book, Amp It Up. Let's see. Um, if you want to think about 
how to scale a business as an entrepreneur. There's a great book called Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Let's see. Yeah, well, we need books on here. I don't even know where to start. What piece of software or app do you find indispensable in your business? In your business, easy. Dead. Okay. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, Jamie? They can reach me at pipelinesignals.com. They can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I should be the main Jamie Shanks that you see there, and happy to help. All right. And lastly, what's the number one piece of advice that you can give for our listeners? Number one piece of advice is one that I constantly try to recorrect in myself that I am trying to climb a series of mountains that unfortunately the horizon will just keep going and going forever. And so to enjoy the fact that this will be a journey forever and take this as a journey, not as a short burst of energy as an entrepreneur. And as well, that I've proven to myself, a lot of people were afraid, oh, you build your business and if you were to sell it or something to happen to it, this might be your only opportunity in the world. Well, I'm on business, you know, two that the world is seeing, but I've tried many businesses in the past. This won't be my last business. So I'm not afraid to grow one, then two, then three, then four. All right. Great advice. That's a wrap. Thank you, Jamie, for being a guest on Entrepreneurs Over 40. Thank you so much. Check out the newly redesigned Entrepreneurs Over 40 website at www.entrepreneursover40.com. While you're there, sign up to get updates from us. Also, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any other episodes. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneurs Over 40. Check us out at entrepreneursover40.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory.